John chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The role and the work of the Holy Spirit has become, I think, a particularly divisive issue in the church, certainly in more recent history. Perhaps it was always a matter of controversy, but certainly with the emergence of the charismatic movement and the growth in Pentecostalism, uh, arguments about the Spirit of God to me at least, seem to have become more prominent and sharper. And of course, at one end of a a spectrum of opinions about the Spirit, uh, there are churches that seem to devote a huge amount of their time to talking about the Spirit of God and indeed trying to encourage people to have a personal encounter with the Spirit. Uh, When these churches meet together, there's an obvious emphasis on the things that are meant to be a manifestation of the Spirit's work. And I'm thinking particularly of things like speaking in tongues or having a a charismatic spiritual experience. And then you go down the other spectrum, and the other end of that spectrum, and there are churches where the Spirit can't seem to get a look in at all. Uh, Those churches seem to have not so much a Trinity view of God, but more of a binary view of God. You've got the Father and the Son, and that's kind of where it ends. Uh, I can still remember a discussion that I had with a barber. Uh, it wasn't my regular barber. I just wandered into a random barber shop. This is about 20 years ago now when I was working in the city. Uh, and during the course of uh, our conversation as he was cutting my hair, uh, I discovered that he attended an independent Pentecostal church. 
Uh, he asked me if I was a Christian. I told him that I was. And then he asked me whether or not I spoke in tongues. And I said I, I did not. I'd never done that. And he told me with deep sincerity that if I didn't speak in tongues, I couldn't have the Holy Spirit of God and therefore there's no way I could possibly be a Christian. Uh, now that put me in a rather delicate position. I tried to explain to him why I thought that was uh, a very dangerous and wrong thing to believe and how it didn't square with what the Bible taught. But he was holding a very sharp object at the time. So I had to choose my words rather carefully. Now this morning I don't really want to wade into all the controversies surrounding uh, the Spirit of God and the Bible certainly has more to say on this topic than we're going to deal with this morning uh, from our chapter in John. But the section that we're looking at in John, Jesus does have much to say to us here that is very clear and very helpful to us when thinking about who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. Jesus speaks about what the Spirit's work looks like and helps us understand what we can expect the Spirit of God to be doing in our lives. Now, this is not the first time Jesus has brought this topic up in John's Gospel. It was only a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 14 uh, that we saw Jesus begin to teach about the advocate that he was going to send to them as Jesus refers to the Spirit here. Jesus was explaining to his disciples that he wasn't going to abandon them. While he was going to be leading them, he was going to send the Spirit to them. And he spoke a bit about what the Spirit would do then. And in fact, the coming of the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit will do is one of the main focuses Jesus has as he speaks to his disciples here in the upper room on the night before his death. Keep in mind that Jesus is wanting to prepare them for his departure, the hardships that they're soon going to be confronted with. And so Jesus wants to assure them that, yes, while he is going, he is going to send the Spirit to them in his stead. And so he wants them to be reassured by that, to understand what the Spirit's going to do and, and even to look forward to what is about to happen when the Spirit comes. See, Jesus wants them to appreciate that what's about to happen is, in fact, a very good thing. Uh, you notice there in verse 7, Jesus, in fact, says that it's good for them that he's going to go away because that means the Spirit is going to come. It's an incredible statement to contemplate that, in fact, Jesus is saying something even better than my presence with you is about to happen. And this is the gift of the Spirit of God, a gift that God has promised his people for many years. Uh, we see uh, this expectation build up in the pages of the Old Testament that God is going to do something new. And Jesus is explaining to his disciples that that new thing is about to arrive. This plan that God has to send his spirit upon all of God's people, that's about to become a reality for them. See, in the Old Covenant, uh, in the stories that we find in the Old Testament, we see that the, the presence of the Holy Spirit is something which is limited to, you might call them, a select few. Uh, it was normally the leaders of God's people, people like the judges or the kings, and most especially the prophets of God. They're the ones who were described as having the Spirit of God. But the Spirit wasn't given to all of God's people, only to some and usually for a very particular purpose. But that's about to change. It's one of the remarkable things about the new covenant that Jesus brings. 
But the expectation for this event is set in the pages of the Old Testament. So if you read a book like Joel, um, he promises what is to come and says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. See the similar promise in the book of Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, says God. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The coming of the spirit of God is going to be one of the defining differences between the old covenant and the new covenant that Jesus brings. God's spirit is going to be poured out on all of God's people. You know, it wasn't that long ago that if you wanted to transfer money from your bank account into somebody else's bank account, you had to go to a very special place and visit some very special people. It was called a bank. And these special people had the power to move money from your account into somebody else's account. Now, of course, with internet banking, that's something that anyone can do anywhere at any time, even from their phone. Under the new covenant, it's a little bit like that. This thing which was reserved for a special few previously is now something which is a privilege for all. The Spirit's going to be given out to all of God's people. And Jesus knows that the time for those events are about to unfold. So what's the Spirit going to do when he comes? Well, in John 16, Jesus begins explaining that more specifically from around about verse 8. So if you've got your Bible there, uh, John chapter 16, verse 8. Jesus says, when he comes, that is when the Spirit comes, the Advocate, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, Now, I actually prefer the way that the previous version of the NIV translated that verse, which said that the Spirit would convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, But it doesn't really matter. It's the same sense that the Spirit's work in the world is going to be a work of conviction. The Spirit will convict people's hearts and people's minds when it comes to sin and righteousness and judgment. Well, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, he explains it in the next couple of verses. He says, verse 9, about sin, because people do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now, you might think that explanation is about as clear as mud, uh, and it admittedly can sound a little confusing, But like I think a lot of the things Jesus says, it it perhaps is a bit more straightforward than it appears. Um, Jesus has already talked about how the Spirit's going to continue to do the work that he himself has already been doing in the world. And it would be fair to say that Jesus has already been doing these things, convicting people with regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And so the Spirit will pick up that work and continue it. But interestingly, Jesus talks about how it's actually going to be better that the Spirit comes. And so the Spirit's going to do this work in a, I think, a a new and a different, dare I suggest, better way. Um, I've got my own little theory that one of the things Jesus is referring to here is that the Spirit is actually going to supplant the role that the law had 
for God's people in the Old Covenant. Um, That as the law exposed people's sin, as the laws of God spelt out what righteousness looked like and convicted them about the fact that uh, they were rightly going to be judged by God for their failure, their inability to keep the laws of God, that as the law performed that function for God's people in the Old Testament, in New Covenant we're no longer under the law of God, but we're under the Lordship of Jesus and we have the Spirit of God. And so Jesus, I think, is indicating how God will operate in people's hearts and minds and lives under the New Covenant and the Spirit's role in that. Now, whether Jesus has the law specifically in mind here or not, he does point out here, though, what we can expect the Spirit to do, that the Spirit will come and bring conviction. He will reveal what sin is. And Jesus here even redefines our idea of sin by saying that it's because people don't believe in him. We can see how people's relationship with God is through their response to Jesus, whether that is good or bad. In the end, Jesus says it's going to be about whether or not people believe in him. And Jesus says, secondly, it's the Spirit who's going to teach us what righteousness is. Jesus says, I'm returning to the Father. You're not going to be able to observe my life before you anymore. And so the Spirit, in fact, will convict us of what righteousness looks like. And I think for those who come to trust in Jesus, will ultimately enable us to live the righteous life that God calls us to. And then thirdly, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit convicting people about the reality of the coming judgment of God. He talks about how the prince of this world, that is Satan, now stands condemned. I think he wants us to understand that in a sense one day we'll we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. And so as the Spirit convicts us of our sin and shows us what righteousness looks like, that sense of how far we fall short and the fact that God is right to judge us, That's something that the Spirit convicts us of. I think Jesus is probably also alluding here to his own death and resurrection that's going to happen the following day and in the days to come. And there on the cross, the prince of this world will be condemned. There Jesus will have his great victory over Satan and sin and death. And because of that, well, ultimately that day of judgment is one that his followers don't need to fear because our peace with God is assured in Jesus. So in all of this, we start to develop a picture of how the Spirit works. He'll convict people of their need to repent, their need of Jesus, and so enable us to trust in him. But the Spirit's work doesn't end there. Jesus talks about other aspects of his role in our lives. We've already seen these last few chapters how Jesus talked about the Spirit continuing to be at work in the lives of the disciples after Jesus departs. Um, Here's just a little refresher, a couple of the things that Jesus mentioned about the Advocate. He says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Spirit will have this teaching role. Specifically, for the disciples, he's going to remind them of the things that Jesus had said to them and taught them. Secondly, In John 15, just before our passage in chapter 16 here, Jesus said, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. 
And now here in John chapter 16, Jesus returns to those ideas. And so from verse 13, if you've got it there, look at John 16 verse 13. Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So the Spirit has this this teaching role, this guiding role. It will, in fact, guide us into all truth. And as he does that, he will bring glory to Jesus. Because what he's going to make known to us is, well, the truth about Jesus. The Spirit is going to testify... But what's he going to testify about when he comes? Well, he's going to reveal Jesus to people. Yes, he's going to guide people into all truth, but what he reveals is the truth about God, the truth about Jesus. It's the same message that Jesus himself has come to bring because it's the same message that Jesus brought from the Father. And ultimately, the Spirit's purpose is to bring glory to the name of Jesus. And so the Spirit's role is not to focus people on who he is or even what he is doing. The Spirit comes to help people see Jesus for who he is, to point people to our Lord and Saviour. And we can expect the Spirit to be doing the very same work today. The Spirit continues to be at work in the very same ways that Jesus talks about in this passage. Our Spirit, God's Spirit, is at work in the world and at work in the lives of the followers of Jesus. And that's a helpful thing for us to remember, I think, because it means that it's the work of the Holy Spirit, ultimately, to convict people of their need for Jesus. See, for someone to become a follower of Jesus, they've got to come to the point of being convicted, to recognise their sin, to recognise that they're not righteous in God's eyes, that they're facing the judgement of God. For any of us to come to the point of accepting Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, you've got to first recognise that you need saving. And that's a work that the Spirit does. No one's going to ask God for forgiveness without first recognising that they need to ask for forgiveness. And for us, I think that's both a humbling thing, but also an encouraging thing. It's humbling because if you're someone who trusts in Jesus... Remember that you didn't get to that point purely through the powers of your own deduction. Thank God that he sent his spirit to convict you of your need of salvation. Thank God that the spirit opened your eyes to see Jesus for who he is, your need of him, the truth about Jesus. But knowing that that's how the spirit works, it's also an encouraging and a particularly liberating, I think, a thing when it comes to thinking about sharing the good news about Jesus with others. Because it means that people are only going to believe as God's Spirit enables them to believe. People aren't going to come to trust in Jesus because of the cleverness of your arguments. They're not going to be converted because you are particularly persuasive. Now, there's nothing wrong with clever and persuasive arguments. They're certainly better than having boring and unconvincing ones. 
But we should remember that ultimately, it's the Spirit of God who convicts people of their need, Jesus. And so because of that, we should be people who are driven to pray, to pray for those who don't yet know God, that we'd love to see come into fellowship with God, to find peace through Jesus. And so we need to ask God to do that work in people's lives. That's what God says he sent his spirit to do, to soften hard hearts, to open blind eyes, so people might realise the reality and the depth of their sin and the hope that's available in Jesus. So remember that God's spirit is still at work in this world. Jesus sent his spirit into the world for that very task. And so that ought to give us, I think, some confidence as we seek to talk to people about Jesus, trusting that God will do that work in people's hearts and minds. But for us as disciples of Jesus, what does it look like for us to have the Spirit of God at work in our lives? How might you spot the Spirit at work? Well, it seems that Jesus thinks the main role of the Spirit in our lives is going to be keeping us trusting in him, keep us focused on Jesus, keep us looking to him. In some ways it's a bit ironic that those churches that claim to be uniquely spirit-filled, places that make that claim, I think, because they've got the spotlight firmly fixed on the spirit of God, as though perhaps talking about the spirit all the time means that they are spirit-filled churches. But Jesus says that the work of the Spirit will be to put the spotlight on him. A spirit-filled church is not necessarily one that harps on about the Holy Spirit all the time. It's more likely to be the one that harps on about Jesus all the time, that points people to him, because that's what the Spirit wants to do. And so for us, what is a life marked by the work of the Spirit going to look like? Well, it's going to be a life marked by things like repentance and trust in Jesus and righteous living. It's a life that takes seriously the things that Jesus has said and taught. It's a life that continues to learn from Jesus and grows in him. It's the kind of life that brings glory to the name of Jesus because that's what the Spirit has come to do.